Hey, I need your help. See if anyone knows this. Tradition, tradition. Tradition, tradition, tradition. All right, some of you guys got it. Some of you are like, what are you singing? If I were a rich man, what a fiddle 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 Okay, anyways. You guys are real help today for me. Thank you. Tradition. Traditions. It's so insane when you think about all the traditions that we have established through time as families, right? And then the traditions that have you know, gone on through time in different cultures. And sometimes when we see other people's traditions and cultures, kind of can blow our minds. We're thinking, why do they do that? So I thought I'd give us some traditions that are happening all over the world. So this is in Italy. Have you ever heard of this? This is literally, um, they literally have the battle of oranges. For several days, grown adults, literally like dodgeball with oranges. Sounds pretty fun and sounds pretty painful. But anyways... This is what's going on. Uh, then maybe, maybe you've heard of in Spain this tradition called baby jumping. Yes. These dudes jump over the babies and as it's a symbol of protecting them from evil. So we thought we'd try it. So if you dropped off your baby at Kids City, they're actually jumping over the babies right now. Just kidding. Don't worry, okay? Uh, what about this in uh, Canada? Ice freezing competition. Hair freezing. See who can get the craziest hair. Legit. It's pretty fun. I mean, right? So you guys have probably seen this one before in Finland. Wife carrying competition. Yeah. Jen and I actually put our uh, entry fee in last night, right, hon? Really excited about it, babe. Really excited about it. I've been working out, baby. I'm ready. Okay? All right. Anyways. Now, I'm going to give you another one. This is, this is a tradition in Mexico. And our church planter, Oscar, and his wife are planting Mile City Espanol next year. Uh, they are, uh, there's this tradition called mordida. And I was in Texas on my birthday with him visiting his family and friends, and they wanted to enlighten me of their uh, tradition called mordida in Mexico. So I'm just here with all the family and friends and just enjoying each other's company. No, 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 you need that piece that you buy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Mordida. Watch the girl. Watch the girl. Just eats it right off my face. Like, what the heck is wrong with you people, you know? So then, listen. Listen. So then. Hey, yeah, they didn't get my hair. You're right. You're right. Um, thanks, Allison. But then out of the kindness of my heart, right, you know, Oscar and Ruby, they moved from Texas. They don't have family here. So I brought them over to my house on his birthday. And so I thought, you know, I'd surprise him when he got out of the hot tub, walked into my house, and returned the favor. My, my dog likes it. Tradition alive. Okay. I don't know if you heard I said, keep the tradition alive, you know. Traditions. We all have our traditions. And sometimes we don't even know why we do the things that we do, but we do them. And I bring that all up today because we're going to see Jesus start breaking some traditions. And it really ruffles some people's feathers, man. And, and we're going to see that. And, you know, tradition is not a bad thing. But tradition can become a bad thing when it is added to God's traditions for our lives. When humans add traditions on top of those. 
and then it gets in the way of yourself or other people moving towards God. That's when tradition can become not a good thing. And so what we're going to see is some of these potential traditions that we might need to break up or shake up in our own lives, or maybe we need to start some specific traditions in our lives that we don't have, okay? So that's the goal. And so before, I'm going to pray as a tradition that we do every time before we open up God's word. I think that's a good tradition to have. So Father, thank you so much for getting us here in this room today, not by accident. And I just thank you for your word that feeds us. Um, It's such a gift. It's such a treasure. And so help us to digest what we need. To not just have it go in one ear and out the other, but to make a shift, to make a change where we need to. And so thanks for your word just growing us and shaping us and sanctifying us and setting us apart to be more and more like you. Uh, Father, please get me out of the way. May I be spirit-led as I communicate. And I pray this in your power of your son's name, Jesus, we all said. Amen. 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 Okay, so hey, open up your Bible to the book of John. It's one of the Gospels in the New Testament, John chapter 7. If you have a journal, we have our John journals, but or just write things down. It's so important so it has a longer-lasting impact on your life. John chapter 7. Turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready? ready. All right, here we go. It says, after this. What does he mean by after this? After this means, obviously, after chapter 6 because we're entering chapter 7, right? But there's a little more to that because on the timeline of things, there was a lot on the timeline that happened about six to eight months worth of stuff went down that you read in the other Gospels, okay? So six to eight months, a lot of awesome stuff happened. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. Notice our lil there. Always got to point out the lil. That's our symbol of our church right there. Um, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. Now, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And what's interesting is that this tradition still goes on today in Israel. And in fact, sadly, October 6th is the day that the festival ended, and then it ended the next day on the Sabbath day for for, for Jewish folks on Saturday. And that's when the brutal attacks from Hamas took place. And so, you know, the Bible, everything that's happened in our world, it's all right here. Okay, we just got to pay attention. Um, And so this is a a festival that was a tradition to look back on Yahweh and how God provided and showed off in really, really amazing ways. And so for years, this tradition has gone on and gone and on. And one of the things in the tradition of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles is that they would literally would be reminding them of how God provided provision in the desert for all those years. 40 years out in the desert as God was using Moses to help and lead them. Joshua. And um, so what they would do to kind of celebrate that and remember that is they would literally go outside their houses and make tents out of branches. Okay. And for eight days, they would look up into the stars and think about and celebrate all that God has done. Now, later, you're going to see some religious leaders getting a little frustrated and grumbling and criticizing and being critical of Jesus. And I just, this is just me, I don't know. I, I think it had a lot to do more right, with what he was saying. But I also think they were grumpy because they were camping outside their houses for eight days in branches. And I would be a little frustrated and grumbling and criticizing too and critical if I was outside my house in a tent for eight days knowing that I could go sleep in my comfortable Peloton mattress. Okay, it's just me. Okay, might just be me. Anyways, keep going. All right. So verse 3. Says this. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. 
For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, Jesus, his brothers are mocking him, attacking him, in a sense you can sense this, the sarcasm, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Contrary to Catholic tradition, Mary had other children with Joseph. We see this here and in other accounts that Jesus had half-brothers and half-siblings. And so what you're seeing right here is a tension amongst siblings. Okay, Jesus, you say you are who you say you are. Why don't you get out of the country and get to Jerusalem where all the action is and really show off who you are? And so they're calling them out. And, you know, this is a really interesting case of sibling rivalry, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know, just imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother. Some of you have a sibling right now who actually thinks that they're perfect. Imagine them actually being perfect. You know, if I was thinking about it, I made up, I made up a scenario. Like, uh, like um, imagine uh, Jesus and his siblings are, you know, in their, you know, 10 or teenage years and they're running around the house and doing crazy things and one of them breaks Mary's favorite dish and she yells out, all right kids, who broke the dish? Obviously it wasn't Jesus and you just imagine all the others and he's like, oh yeah, obviously not. So then she lines them up, Mary lines them up one by one and then she points out to Jesus and says, Jesus, who broke the dish? And you got to imagine they're all just like, don't be a snitch, don't be a snitch. And then Jesus is like, it was James, you know. And they're like, come on. You're like, I can't lie. And they're like, what do you think? You're perfect? Like you can walk on water? And he's probably like, that's actually not a bad idea. Maybe I'll. <laughs> nope, taken. Then he walks on. Anyway. Yeah. So. so there's this tension happening. His brothers, okay, they grew up with Jesus. They knew the power of Jesus. But now they're mocking him in this moment. And so it got me thinking. Truth was literally right in front of their face and they were missing it. Which reminds me sometimes of us. Truth is right in front of us and sometimes we miss it. And so as you're taking notes, maybe the first thing, a tradition that you need to shake up is your sacred family religious traditions. Some of you are feeling a little PSD just walking into a church that's in a warehouse. Because this isn't how you were raised or how your family raised you or how your grandparents raised you. And you're like, man, I was born a Catholic and I'm going to die a Catholic. I was born Baptist, I'm going to die a Baptist. I was born Muslim and I'm going to die a Muslim because that's what just our family tradition. Some of you have so much guilt. And then I was thinking about it. I talk to people that have guilt not only from parents or grandparents that are alive, but grandparents and great-grandparents that are in the grave. And that guilt is coming like from people that are dead and you're allowing dead people. I mean, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but you're allowing people that have passed to influence a religion to you that isn't really real to you. And I would just say again, religion and tradition is amazing and it's phenomenal and it's so special. I have mine. But when it gets in the way of a real relationship with Jesus, that's a problem. And so please, shake up your sacred family religious traditions to make it real. Make it real for you. Make it real for you. This also reminds us that his brothers did not believe in Jesus at this point. 
But eventually, guess what? They all would believe in him. And they would die for him. They would give their lives in service for him. And so some of you right now, you have family members that it's so hard because they just have not opened their eyes to Jesus yet. And it's heavy and it's hard. It's difficult. And I just want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. The prayers of a righteous person accomplishes much. Don't give up on that spouse. Don't give up on that parent. Don't give up on that sibling. Don't give up on that child. In fact, right now, let's just pray. The quietness of this moment and in your heart, if you have a family member that does not know the power and love of Jesus, just ask God right now. Just say, God, would you show off your power to them right now in this moment in some way? Just ask him. Father, you heard in this moment maybe a hundred different names and you got them all. So Father, hear our cry in the name of Jesus. Reach them. Show off your power to them. Amen. Let's keep going. Verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Newsflash. Don't be surprised. The world hates Jesus. And we'll always hate Jesus. When you turn on the news, don't be surprised that people are always going to be attacking Jesus. The reason is, is because Jesus calls out evil and evil doesn't like being called out. Okay? You go up to the feast. They're saying, you know, like Jesus says, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, it continues. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he is a good man. Which, by the way, he was a good man, but not just a good man, but a God man, right? Not just a good man, not just a prophet, but the promised one. No, others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. No one spoke openly of him, which brings up another tradition that we might need to shake up in our lives, our share traditions, our evangelism traditions. Last year, our church went after a goal of what would it look like for us as a church family to have 700 gospel conversations where we'd have the courage to bring up Jesus. Doesn't mean they get saved, but we just bring it up. Hey, can I have permission to share how Jesus has changed my life? And so we had this little ping pong strategy where if you shared the white ones represented, if you just got on first base, remember, uh, and then you would drop it in and write their name. The yellow represented people that actually put their faith in Jesus. And it's really fun to report today that from both locations, we have a total of 529 gospel conversations. Isn't that cool? You can clap for that. That's pretty awesome. Look at all the white. Look at all the yellow. It's really, really, really cool. Now, Obviously, too, you know, you, you think about, I mean, I'm guilty. I've shared some, and I haven't dropped my ping pong balls in there yet on some of them, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. We've probably made it over 700. The goal, it's not about, like, it's just to keep it in front of us, right? To just, and, and, and maybe you, you feel nervous about sharing your faith. You don't know what to say. I also want to just, you know, maybe you're new to our our church. This is a, a, a nice tool that we have. You can grab your phone right now. Grab your phone right now if you haven't done this. And take a picture of this QR code that takes you 
to these screensavers that you can download. This is a six-statement phrase that helps you share the full gospel. Not just part of it. You can't just share part of it. You've got to share all of it. And this helps you stay organized. I memorized this. I've been using this since I was in the eighth grade. So and so important. If you don't have a resource how to share your faith, this is an incredible resource. Some of you need to shake up the way that you share your faith. Some of you talk way too much. And it's just, it's too much for people. And you might need to back it off and show them Jesus by how you love them and serve them. Others of you do a really great job loving and serving them in Jesus' name, but you don't talk about Jesus. And you got to start talking. It's both. You got to do both. You got to serve like Jesus and then share about Jesus. The mixture and that tension is so important. Where are you? Where might you need to shake up your share traditions? Because it's so important to share the most powerful message that ever was and ever will be. Let's keep going. Then it says this in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? He was blowing their minds. There's 30 different schools at that time in that area that would teach young religious leaders the law and Torah. And and they're like, well, we know he didn't do that. How does he know so much? This guy's blowing our minds. And so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. It's like, wait, what? And it continues. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. There he is talking about how God the Father has given him authority. It's unreal. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Which is a great reminder for us to be alert of false teaching. For us to be alert when it comes to the amount of media or what media is being put into our brains. And so here's the next tradition as you're taking notes. Where might you need to shake up your source traditions? When I say source, I'm meaning like what are the sources that you are constantly filling your mind? We live in a crazy, crazy world of media. There's so much of it. But what are you filling your mind with? How much Fox News are you watching? How much CNN are you watching? How much scrolling on Facebook and TikTok are you scrolling through? How much YouTube are you watching? What radio stations are you listening to on the way to work? What books are you reading? What music are you listening to? What authors of the books that you're reading, who are they influenced by? What other pastors or teachers are you listening to? Are you filling in your mind? Now listen, it's important to be informed. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes, it, it made me think, this is something that I was testing myself on. You know, on your phone, it will tell you, right, how much information or how much time you're spending on whatever news app or social app or or whatever. It's kind of astounding. It's kind of embarrassing. I remember when I first came out, I was like, holy smokes, I'm spending that much time on that. If you right now were to try to add up the amount of news time, um, social time, social media time, YouTube time, sports time, whatever's filling your mind with whatever media it is, okay, and you were to compare it to this ultimate source of time, how does it compare? And here's what I would say. The amount of time that we're feeding all the other stuff into our minds should never trump the amount of time that this is feeding your mind. And that's kind of convicting, right? I mean, if you watched the game last night, how many hours was that? 
I don't know, three hours, two hours? I don't know. Let's just say two hours for a normal game. Did you spend two hours reading God's word in a week? Right? That's a challenge for me too. But listen, if you're ever wondering why you feel restless or why you feel anxious or why you feel maybe fearful or why you feel discontent or not connected to God, it has a lot to do with what we're allowing to take over and feed our minds. So you just need more and more of this because I'm telling you, this is the source that brings you life, that brings you hope, that brings you answers from what's going on around the world, even more than any news station will give you. It's unbelievable the power that feeds our souls in God's word. So where might you need to shake up your source traditions and what you're feeding? And remember, this is not just a book that you study. This is a book, if you let it, it will study you. This is not just a book that you read. This is a book, if you let it, it will read you. Let's keep going. Then it says this, has not Moses given you the law? So Jesus is making an argument here. Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? So he's reading their minds and they're thinking, well, the crowd is here. You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Like, okay, you're getting a little crazy, Jesus. Then Jesus answered them, I did one work. I did one work and all, and you all marvel at it. He was referring to in John chapter 5 when he healed, we, we talked about this, when Jesus healed the man who was crippled from birth. He says, listen, I did one work, and you still are arguing and grumbling about that. And then he totally shifts the conversation in a kind of a weird, awkward way, from my opinion, as you would read it. Then he says this, Moses gave you circumcision. Imagine being in the crowd. Imagine being a guy in the crowd. Circumcision. He's like, maybe there is a football game in one of the arenas. we got to get out of here. You know, what's going on here? So he shifts the conversation to circumcision, Okay. You don't know what circumcision is, that's a different message for a different time. Okay, don't worry. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcised a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? So what's Jesus doing here? Jesus is basically saying, well, since we're judging people, let's talk about it. In your Jewish tradition, you circumcise a boy after the eighth day, on the eighth day. And so boys on the eighth day after their birth are to be circumcised. And so if that, on the eighth day, if it falls on the Sabbath day, you still circumcise that boy. And so you're trumping circumcision over the Sabbath. But you're saying that that's okay, but it's not okay for me to heal people that have been hurting their whole lives on the Sabbath? What are we doing here? And so this, is, this whole thing just starts wrestling back and forth, and he's using a great way to kind of get their attention. And in Mark chapter 2, verses 27, I don't have it for the screen, but if you want to write this down, Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, says this, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That's Jesus. God said he doesn't want us to work on the Sabbath. But he never said not to help people or heal people on the Sabbath. 
The Sabbath is not meant to rule over your life or to ruin your life or to imprison your life. The Sabbath is meant to bless your life, to give you and your family the rest that it needs. So they were trying to trump the Sabbath as more important than people, which brings up another tradition, the Sabbath tradition. Where might you need a little shakeup in your life when it comes to Sabbath? Do you have a Sabbath? What are you doing on your Sabbath? Are you breaking the Sabbath? Sabbath is a 24-hour break. God commands this all the way back into the Ten Commandments, and Jesus reaffirmed it. We're supposed to honor the Sabbath. And God wants us to do that. Why? Because he loves us. It's healthy for us. I mean, I'm not going to give you all the scientific reports, but you do your own scientific study. In the secular world and Christian world, when you take a day to stop working, it's so healthy for your body. We know this. We know it's good for our minds. We know it's good for our blood pressure. There's so many benefits from us to stop. God designed our bodies to have a day of rest. But he also put in the Sabbath so that we would trust him, just like we prayed earlier in our service about him being our daily bread, our daily provider. Yeah, but I can get double time if I work. Yeah, but if I do this now, I'll get ahead for the next week, right? It's so easy, right, for us to break our Sabbaths. And I just, you know, I tell you what, I, I'm, I am I'm terrible at this. I am. I try and I've grown. I have. Jen will tell you, I'm not lying up here. But it's a struggle, you know. I, my Sabbath is Friday afternoon to around Saturday, around 5 or 6 o'clock. And uh, I, I kind of break it up into two days. But, man, I know that I am just, I, I feel better when I, when I, when I, when I do it. I, I know Jen will say I'm a better husband when I'm taking the Sabbath. I know I'm a better dad instead of me trying to catch up on emails or get a talk or whatever. And it's like they're right in front of my face. It's like, come on, what are you doing, right? Um, it's just so important. And you don't want to get legalistic about it either, you know, like just like they were doing. Some of you, um, like on my Sabbath, for me to go out and actually mow the lawn or landscape is actually restful for me because I'm working on my mind all week. I'm up in the space, leading people, mind stuff. Some of you, you might work outside all day and you're in landscaping or you're in construction. And so for you to actually work with your hands, that might not be what you're supposed to be doing on the Sabbath. You might need some more mind time. You might need some more reading time or whatever it is. Again, you know you. You know what actually is restful for you. Don't make it legalistic, but make it helpful for you. So, so important. So where might you need to shake up your Sabbath, your tradition of rest? God loves you. That's why he set it in place. Okay? Then it says this. Do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. And so our last one that we need to shake up in our lives, and all of us need this, is our self-righteous traditions. Come on. We're all guilty of it. Chief knucklehead up here, self-righteous. How easy is it for us to look at the specks in everyone else's stuff and mess in their lives and forget about the planks in our own eyes? In our own lives. Um, so easy to do. And, and notice it says, you know, um, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment, reminding us that there's always two sides of the story. And here you have religious leaders calling out a religious leader, which reminded me of this. And I need, actually, church family, I need your help on this. 
May we never judge so quickly other church leaders in our city and other churches in our city. Please, like, if you ever hear someone talking about another church, let's just stop it. Right in its tracks. Yeah, you know, this church I came from, it's like, no, 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 it's a great church. Let's just move on from that, okay? We have some great churches in our city. Northridge, Oak Point, Solid Rock Bible Church, Calvary Baptist Church, Ward Presbyterian, 242. All these churches, I know many of the leaders and pastors. These are great leaders, men and women of God that are striving to move towards God. Are they different than us? Absolutely, they're different. They do different things. They have different traditions. But they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we all need the big C church together, working together. But listen, sometimes, right, there's seasons. There's seasons. And sometimes there's a season for you to be at a church. We've, we've said hello and goodbye to a lot of different people. And they've gone to the, all those different churches. And some of you have come from those churches that I just said. And so, yeah, sometimes there's just a different phase or a different fit for people's lives. And, and I understand that. But listen, we have to make sure that if there's ever an issue, if there's a sin issue with a leader or something of a church, you got to deal with it. Don't just brush it under the rug. Always deal with it head on. Talk to people about it. Make sure it's just the circle that you need to talk to about it. But we just need to make sure that we're being respectful. I've said this before. When we trash other churches, because remember, we're the bride of Christ. It's literally like walking in a wedding and pulling the groom aside. And you see the bride coming down and you pull up the groom and you're like, hey, look at the bride over there. Look at her. She's disgusting. (laughs) Man, what kind of dress is that? Right? That's what we do when we mock other churches or mock other leaders. And so let's just make sure that we're above reproach on that, okay? Um, Last thing here, uh, well, two more things, um, is when it comes to judging others rightfully, I've given this tip years ago by a great mentor. And he said this, if you want the best way to judge with a right judgment, if you're taking notes, write this down. Judge yourself first. Because if you judge yourself first, you won't really have a lot of time to judge other people. If you're honestly judging your own heart, there's so much in there. There's so much in Travis that I don't even realize it needs to get out. So it's so important. So where's your heart today? What parts are toxic that you need to confess and lay down before the feet of Jesus? Be real, be honest with yourself. Don't be so self-righteous, okay? Last verse. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, after all this has taken on and they heard Jesus and all this that that happened, is not this the man who they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? And this got me last night. It says, can it be? But then notice it says, some of the people. So there's not all the people, but some of the people got to the point where they asked the question, can it be? Which made me think that there's some of you maybe in this room where finally today is the day where you're asking yourself, can it be? Is it possible? Can it be that, that Jesus truly is the Messiah? Can it be that, that, that Jesus is, is really God? Can it be that he really is the one who died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin? Can it be that he's the one who not only died 
for my sin to take it all away so I didn't have to pay for it? But can it be that he's the one who actually rose from the dead and actually pulled it off and conquered it? Can it be that Jesus is the one who gives me hope beyond hope? Can it be that Jesus is the one that gives me peace that surpasses all understanding? Can it be? And the answer is yes, it is. It is he, it is he. And so maybe today that's you. That stirring has been happening in your life maybe for a few weeks now. You've been maybe coming here and maybe you're taking your three-week challenge and it's like there's something. It's like, man, I don't understand it all, but man, I, there's something about Jesus that I just, I know I need. And maybe you need to kill an old tradition that you've had for a long time, your whole life. Your old tradition, long tradition has been that you are the leader of your life. And you know that tradition is just not working. It fails every time. But what if today you started a new tradition and you allowed Jesus to take control and be the leader of your life? He offers that to you. And it's simply through your belief and trust that he is who he said he is. So if you've never started that new tradition of letting Jesus lead your life, then I want to give you that opportunity right now. And so let's all just close our eyes and bow our heads. And if that's you, you say, Travis, that's me. I want to start a new tradition by allowing Jesus to be the leader of my life. And so I'm just going to lead you through a real conversation between you and God. You make this your own. This isn't your mama's faith. This isn't your grandma's faith, let this be your faith. Shake up a new tradition in your life today. Make Jesus the king of your life. Just say this to him in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Father, I'm starting a new tradition. I want you to be the leader of my life. I'm done with the old way, the old self of me being in control. I surrender to you, Jesus. I believe you, Jesus, are God. Tell him that. Then just say, I confess, forgive me of my sin. You know all the mess. You know all the junk. Forgive me. Then with the gratitude heart, will you just say thank you? Thank you for dying for me. Wow. Thank you for rising again for me. And then just say, right now, I receive you, Jesus, to be the king of my life. As we continue to pray, if you really own that for yourself, um, I want you to know that something has happened to you. Maybe I should have warned you. But in the moment of your confession of belief, he gives you a gift. And the gift is his Holy Spirit that comes and takes residence into your life. And this is an amazing thing because now you have the spirit of the living God walking with you. He's your helper. He's your advocate. He's this treasure that constantly is helping you all the way through this life until one day you leave this earth and see your king face to face. It's unbelievable. And I'm so excited for you to just begin interacting with the spirit of the living God inside of you. And so, Father, thank you. Help us to be honest where we need to shake up some of our tradition. 
We need you and we praise you. We love you. Amen. Hey, let's give it up for those who started a new tradition today in their life for the very first time. That's awesome. Incredible. So we want to encourage you to not walk alone. Our vision at this church is helping people move towards God. And so we want to just help you on that journey. And so let one of us know, let one of our staff know, let anyone who has a lanyard know. You can text the number if that's more comfortable for you. We just want to uh, acknowledge the most important decision of your life and just celebrate with you.